and see you all again. And uh, good morning from scenic Westminster. And I was telling the guys before the service, I, I have a tendency of coming up with, shall I say, rather lame jokes. And uh, I told Todd and Dan, I said, I just can't resist. I said, the temperature in this room, let me just say that coming to Aurora is really cool. So there's my feeble attempt at humor, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, again, it's great to be back. We have been going through a study in Westminster through the book of Colossians. And our text this morning is Colossians 3, verses 14 and 15. And before I pray and kind of get into the message, um, it's just very important that as we learn sound theology, which you all have been so well taught over the years, that through the power of the Spirit, we not only have the sound theology in our minds, but in our daily lives, we apply it and we live in a way that pleases the Lord by, shall we say, applying practical theology. So my prayer this morning as we get into Colossians is not only will we be reminded of all that Christ has done and who we are now in Christ, but in a very practical way, we will see how that should be impacting our relationships with each other, our perspectives, and so on. So I'm just going to pause now and ask the Lord for his help, ask him to help us through the Arctic. Is this, is this the Aurora Church of Antarctica? No, not quite. But just to help us focus as we get into his word. So please pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your holy scriptures. Lord, your word tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Father, I ask you to help me to communicate your truths to these dear brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of you. I pray, Lord, even with the coldness in the room, that you will help us to be able to lean in, to, to say in our hearts, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? And that you would build this church, that you would strengthen our souls, that you would help us to live lives more and more pleasing to you. And I just ask your blessing now on the proclamation of your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my preparation for this sermon, I kept thinking of this somewhat famous quote from the well-known author C.S. Lewis. And Lewis said this. He said, do you prefer playing in mud puddles when God offers you a holiday at the beach? Let me say that again. Mike Robel, Sovereign Grace Church of Aurora, do you prefer playing in mud puddles when God offers you a holiday at the beach? And I think in my mind, the reason I kept thinking this over and over again is because so often it seems that I can lose sight of all that Christ has done for me and my new identity that I've been given in Christ. And when that gets dim in my mind, I tend to dwell more, shall I say, on the mire and muck of my circumstances. I begin 
to kind of see my life as more of a mud puddle, Eeyore, if you know Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore-like existence. Oh, well, another day of pain. Oh, well, another day of this situation. And, and what I find, too, when I, when I let my soul lose sight of who I am in Christ and all he's done, I'm much less inclined to think of other people. I mean, let's face it, mud puddles, if we go with this, this quote by C.S. Lewis, mud puddles are pretty small. You usually don't see 20 children playing around a mud puddle. And when we lose sight of who we are in Jesus and all he's done for us, our world tends to get very small. We tend to think of ourselves and our problems more and tend to think of others less. But here's the contrast. When we're proactive with our souls, when by God's grace and with his help, we remind ourselves of the riches we have in Christ Jesus. As we'll see in a few minutes, the reality that when we got saved, we died to sin. We, we died with him and we were raised with him. The power of sin has now been broken. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. When we start meditating on these things, what happens is now we see before us not so much the troubles, though they're there. We see this ocean, if you will, this vast beach of God's truth. And what we will find is we're more and more awestruck like we just sit there and we think, God, how did I get here? Am I really forgiven of all my sins? Is it true? As far as the east is from the west, you've removed my transgressions from me. Is it really true that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Yes. And all of a sudden, it's like this ocean, this beach. And let's face it, ocean-like experiences it's like limitless. So now we find, wow, there's not this little mud puddle. There's like room for all kinds of people around us. And if you're like me, you kind of find yourself, as you meditate on who you are in Christ, you find yourself thinking more of other people. You're like, Lord, how, how can I serve you? Who can I help? Who can I pray for? I mean, can you relate to this? Do you find this in your life as well? So here is my prayer, that as we dive into the book of Colossians, and I'm going to do a little overview. I'm not going to teach Colossians verse, you know, chapter 1, verse 1, building up to 314, unless you guys don't have any lunch plans, right? No, but the thing is, I'm going to do a somewhat brief, but an overview. And my prayer is that, first of all, we will be more in that sea, that ocean, that beachfront of realizing what we have in Jesus. And as a result, as we'll see in this text, we're going to be loving one another. We're going to be letting the peace of Christ rule in our relationships with one another. So let me briefly set the context of Colossians. Now, one of the biggest issues in the Colossian church were false teachers had come in and they were downgrading the preeminence of Christ. They were essentially saying to the church, Jesus is not enough. 
Jesus is a stepping stone. So yeah, it's great you know Jesus. It's great you put your faith in Jesus. But you know what? You, you might need some angelic visions to go with that. You might need to obey certain rules. In other words, a fullness of spiritual experience could not be found. Some of these false teachers were teaching a fullness of spiritual experience could not be found through Christ alone. And Paul, getting wind of this through Epaphras, says, oh no. So in Colossians 1, he lays out this glorious text on the preeminence of Christ. And he teaches the church things like this. He says, Jesus created all things. Jesus not only created all things, but they're created through him and for him. And in fact, he holds everything together. So that chair you're sitting on this morning, Christ is holding it together. So you don't have to worry. Hopefully that'll implode. So in chapter one, what some scholars call the pinnacle of the New Testament, Paul lays out Jesus Christ is preeminent over everything. There's no one like him. And then he goes into chapter 2, and he explains to the church that though you were once dead in your sins, now, because of Jesus, you are alive together with Christ. He says, he teaches them that they've been forgiven all their trespasses. In fact, Christ has canceled the record of debt that stood against them, a sin debt that they could not pay, and he says he nailed it to his cross. So he lays out all these glorious truths in the first couple chapters of Colossians, and then he comes to chapter 3, and it's, it's like he's laid out these truths of Christ, which scholars typically call the indicatives, and now he gets to the imperatives. He's like, so in light of all that Christ is and has done for you, how should you live? Because it's important to God how we live. So in the beginning of Colossians 3, he tells them, he says, you've been raised with Christ. And because you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. And he tells them, you've died, but you've been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You and I are new creations. And he's telling them, you have a new identity now. And because of these amazing realities, Paul lays out to the Colossians and to us, here's now how you should live. First, on the negative side, he's saying, be passionate about killing sin. Don't make treaties with sin. He tells them, put to death what's earthly. Now, remember, we can't do this in our own strength. I didn't wake up this morning and say, I'm, I'm going to put to death this sin. I, I'm going to pull up my spiritual bootstraps. No, we can put to death sin because Christ lives in us. His Holy Spirit's with us. We have the power. We have a new identity in Him. So Paul says, kill, put off things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. And then he says, not only kill sin, not only fight sin, but he says, put on 
put on as new creations in Christ virtues, Christian virtues. And it's very interesting. He points at relational virtues. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He says, bear with one another. Forgive one another. So there's this putting off and there's this putting on. It's a beautiful garment-like illustration. It's like I have some clothes at home that I, when I paint, they're my painting clothes. And they have paint all over them. Drives my wife nuts. She's like, why can't you be more neat when you work? But after doing some paint, she's like, how did you get all this paint on your clothes? But I only wear them when I paint, which thankfully in my house now, hopefully won't be for a while. But the thing is, it's like Paul is saying, take off those paint-stained, if you will, sinful garments and now put on something fresh and beautiful and new. And so he lays out to us these, these garments that were to put on, garments that really were embodied in Christ. These were his mindset, what characterized him, what he demonstrated through his earthly life. So through the transforming power that's now in us through the Holy Spirit, conforming us to the image of Christ, Paul is saying, be imitators of Christ. Put on these virtues. And see, by the nature of these things he's laid out early in Colossians 3, he's making it very clear that we don't live out our Christian lives in a vacuum. Lone Ranger Christian is totally unbiblical. We are created to live out as, our, as new creations in Christ. We're to put on display who Jesus is and how we live out our faith together, how we treat and interact with our fellow believers. So as we come to our text today, I know it was a little longer <laughs> setup. Again, I didn't want to go through two full chapters of biblical truth here. We now come to Colossians 3.14. And now after listing these virtues of compassion and, and all these things, kindness, Paul says this. He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then he tacks on at the end, and be thankful. So these two verses are mainly what we'll be focusing in on this morning. And I titled this message, Putting on Love, and maybe it has a little infomercial flavor, Putting on Love and More. Kind of like those infomercials. But wait, if you dial now. So we're going to put on love and then more. And I would summarize this text this way. As the people of God, our new life in Christ produces love, peace, and grateful hearts. As the people of God, our new life in Christ produces love, peace, and grateful hearts. So my three points this morning are going to follow the text virtually directly. First, we're going to look at, above all, 
put on love. What's that look like? Secondly, let Christ's peace rule. And then third, be thankful. So let's start with above all, put on love. So Paul says, above all these things, put on love. And, and again, it seems he's continuing with the garment-like illustration. He's saying, okay, as you put on the Christ-like virtues, get away from those paint-stained, if you will, sinful clothing, putting on Christ-like virtues. He says, now make this your top coat. Make this the thing that really gives, I don't want to stretch the garment illustration too far, but really gives the style that God wants you to have. Over all these things, make your top coat, he says, love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So notice how Paul emphasizes the priority of love. The priority of love. He says, above all these things, put on love. As the ESV Study Bible commenting on this says, Above all else, Christians are called to love one another. But we Americans, we English speakers, if you're not American but you're an English speaker, here's the problem with the word love. We use it in all kinds of contexts. I love smoked ribs. Okay, I don't want to talk too much about food. Some people are like, hey, what are we doing? When's the service over? I love hanging out with friends from my church playing golf. I mean, is that the kind of love Paul's talking about here? Of course not. What he's talking about, this love that we're to put on above all, it's the Greek word agape. It is God's love. It's the same word we see in John 3.16. For God so loved Agape, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the love that in our new identity in Christ and in this work God is doing in our hearts, this is the love God wants us demonstrating to one another. Wayne Grudem commenting on this said this, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. And notice this. This definition understands love as self-giving for the benefit of others. Self-giving for the benefit of others. This attribute of God shows that it is part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessing or good for others. Now let's just pause here for a moment. Think about the love that God has demonstrated to you and I through Jesus. It, you know, even this morning as I was getting ready to go, it was just hitting me freshly. His love for me. I don't have time to go into my history. Plus, despite the coldness of the room, some may feel naturally sedated. But here's the reality. I don't deserve to be here. And neither do any of us. God's love reached out to me 
And he brought me to the place of realizing he gave his only son. And one of those whosoevers or whoever was me, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Think about God's love for you. He gave his only son undeservingly. We were dead in our sins. He made us alive in Christ. What love God has demonstrated to us through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Again, where would we be today without his immeasurable, perfect, selfless love? And see, this is what we want to remind. See, this will bring us to the ocean, not to the mud puddle. Think about, wanted to camp there just for a few moments. And see, friends, this is the love that Paul says we are to prioritize above and over all the character qualities he's listed. We are to put on love. We are to love one another with God's love. We are to demonstrate Christian to Christian in the body of Christ and even toward unbelievers to be sure as well. We're to demonstrate a heart of giving of ourselves to bring blessing and good to others. Now again, how can we possibly live this way? I don't know about you, but when stuff comes up and there's a need, but I have a plan for that day, and that situation doesn't fit in the plan, do you ever find like selfishness coming up? But Lord, I, I was going to go to the driving range and get some downtime. And now, see, God's like, no. Put to death selfishness. Extend my love for my glory. See, we have, I just want to come back to this one more time. How can we love this way? Because we have died with Christ and were raised with him. We have his life in us. So through the power of the Spirit, we can say, God, help me through your power in me to love people with your love. Selfless, God-honoring love. See, here's God's desire for us as his people. Jesus said this in John 15. This is my commandment that you, same word, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this then someone lay down his life for his friends. Peter, in his epistle, gives us a similar encouragement where he says, above all, keep loving, same word, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep doing it. And what's the effect? Well, Paul again in Colossians 3 says, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does that mean? It binds everything together. Well, Douglas Moo helps us on this. He says, love is that virtue with, without which others cease to have the value they are meant to have. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, notice, attain their full power 
only when they are unified by and empowered by love. Again, all these character virtues, they only attain their full power only when unified by and empowered by love. It's like love is the glue. Love is the fuel. Love is putting on display the power of Christ as we're selflessly applying and, and, and pressing into God and asking Him to help us love one another with His love. It just brings this beauty, this harmony, this symphony of who Christ is among us. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And Kent Hughes adds these thoughts. I think it's really good. He says, love is the grace that binds all these other graces together. And that it is. The imperative thrust is continuous. Keep putting on love over and over and over. And shall I just keep going, but it'll be annoying. And over and over again. See, God wants us to continue to grow in love for Him and in love for one another over and over again. And, and I want to pause here for a moment and commend you as a church. I have my sources. So I'm like, what? And though I'm only here every few months or whatever, I've got insider information. And I know you are demonstrating love to her. You might say, who are your sources? It's one guy, a guy named Todd sitting in the back over there. <laughs> but I called Todd this past week and I said, in this sermon, I want to just encourage the church. And I don't have time to go through all the examples. And I don't even know, some of these people may not be here. But Todd gave me a few examples. I picked three. And if I mispronounce your names, forgive me. And I don't know, is John Alderton here today? Is he away with the family camping trip? But here's one example that, that Todd brought to my attention. He said that John recently helped Todd's neighbor, who has a really small support system, move out of her apartment. Did John do that expecting something in return? No. He just wanted to show this, this woman God's love. Is Abby here? Abby Faulkner? She's serving, of course. Well... When you see Abby, Todd mentioned to me that she's regularly involved with a refugee family, helping them with everyday tasks and life coaching. That's God's love on display. It's not reciprocation. It's not, well, I helped you last week. Hello. No. Giving for the good of others. How about Anne? Is she here? Anne, I'm going to try to pronounce your name. Anne Hammeringhausen? Is that you? All right. Hi, Ann. Good morning. Todd shared with me that she is serving the church by planning the games and the logistics for the upcoming retreat. Is that accurate? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Retreat. But see, Ann, thank you, Ann. Ann is giving of herself, demonstrating God's love to help plan your church retreat. That's examples. But we don't want to be complacent in this. Keep loving more and more and more. And here's where I'd encourage you. Be asking the Lord today, this week. And I often do this as a pastor. When I'm starting my day, I'll say to the Lord, God, who do you want me to show your love to today? This week. 
Lord, put somebody on my heart. Maybe somebody that we think has a lot of friends. Maybe they don't have as many friends as we think. Maybe someone, you know, just ask God, who can I bring that timely demonstration of love to? And what I would encourage you to do is God put somebody on your heart. First, pray for them. And then I would encourage you as God would lead you to reach out to them. I mean, I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those text messages where somebody just texts you, hey, praying for you today. It's like what, eight words? And people sometimes have no idea. A meeting maybe I've just come out of or a situation. And I would just encourage you as a church, as, as I've encouraged my church, you know, send a text. And then if you reach out and you have conversations, hey, how's everything going? This has happened to me multiple times. You send a text. How are you doing? A text comes back. Oh, I just lost my job a week ago or my company are talking about layoffs. And then maybe the next step is you make a phone call or you bring a meal. But ask the Lord, how can I demonstrate your love to my brothers and sisters in Christ? It's exciting and it's a privilege. And then the other little application here is I'd say, secondly, be, be mindful to always love people in a way that's guided by Scripture. Because sometimes our hearts can go ahead of wisdom. So you know somebody, say, needs $3,000, and you have $1,000 in the bank, and you're just like, I'm going to give it all to them. Well, maybe God's asking you to do that. But maybe this person is, needs a job and just hasn't even been looking for three months. And it could be instead of a financial gift, maybe what the Lord wants you to do is go to them and gently and humbly and lovingly say, friend, you need to look for work. Because I care about you, I want to encourage you in this. So ask God, what does love look like to this person? You know, sometimes I like to talk too much. And sometimes the Lord's saying to me, don't give them a sermon. Just listen. And this is something I'm still learning. God's helping me with. But I found sometimes when I ask the Lord, what does love look like here? He says, just go and listen. Understand what they're going to. Cry with them if necessary. So like I said earlier, sometimes God's love looks like a gentle correction or helping people, sharing maybe some hard things, but you know if they respond to them, it'll be for their good. See, what I'm saying is as we seek to put on love, Make sure God's word is your guide. And love in a way that aligns with Scripture and shows your fellow believers and unbelievers the love and compassion of Christ. So just a little wisdom there. Coming from a person who at times, my heart has gone ahead of my head. And I'll go to someone and, and sacrifice on their behalf and then I'll realize I really just enabled them instead of really helped them and without going into detail there. There's a lot more I could say on this, but again, my encouragement is let's love more and more and more. So let's get, get to my second point. Let Christ's peace rule. So after Paul talks about putting on love, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, excuse me, to which you indeed were called in one body. 
So Paul is now communicating to the Colossians, this is the ruling principle in your relationships with one another. What is it? He said, the peace of Christ. Now, I can't help but think here, Paul is pointing us back to the centrality of the gospel and Jesus and the supremacy of Christ. Because he's reminding us now of what the Lord has done through Christ to secure our righteous status, our peace with God. So when he says, let the peace of Christ rule, let's remember what this entails. Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we are enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life. Paul is reminding the Colossians and us, you have reconciliation with God. You have peace with God through Christ because of what he's done for you. And the ESV study Bible commenting on this again, they say the Christian through faith in Christ has been justified and declared righteous. You all been studying Galatians recently, right? Justification through faith. We've been declared righteous by God once for all. The result of this is that the Christian no longer lives under the fear of judgment and the wrath of God, but has peace with God, which is not a subjective feeling, but an objective reality. Now again, time limits me, but let's camp here just for a few moments. You have, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have peace with God. Think about that. Though we were once his enemies, though we once were on a path opposed to him, through Jesus' death on the cross and by his grace us putting our faith and trust in him, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear the judgment of God. You are no longer his enemy, but now you're his son or daughter. I love how one person put it. One minute we're in the courtroom. Our sin says guilty. The sentence is about to be pronounced upon us. But then Jesus takes our penalty for us. He absorbs the full wrath of God for our sin. The, the one, again, the justice of God is satisfied in Jesus. And through salvation and faith in him, we're taken out of the courtroom. Welcome to the family room. Son, daughter, amazing, amazing. We're adopted into his family. And in light of this reality, Paul is telling the Colossians and us, in your relationships with one another, keep that in mind. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does this mean? He's saying the peace of Christ should be the umpire, the, the overarching principle and ruler 
of how we treat one another. If God has so forgiven us of such great a debt, how can we not posture ourselves to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ? Douglas Moo again, one more quote from him. He said, Paul wants the Colossians to make peace the arbiter, the factor the factor that should be given preference over competing concerns and interests. Without sacrificing principle, believers should relate to one another in a way that facilitates and demonstrates the peace that Christ has secured for them. Let me say that again. Without sacrificing principle, believers should relate to one another in a way that facilitates and demonstrates the peace that Christ has secured for them. See, we're really different, aren't we, as a body of believers? I mean, sometimes I wonder, apart from Jesus, is there any way we'd all be in the same room today? Maybe, maybe not. I look at, you know, some of my preferences, and I look at our church body in Westminster, and I said, there is no way, apart from the power, the transforming power of the gospel, I'm in the same room. I mean, Todd knows this. I like math. All right, I taught high school math for 34 years before I became a pastor. That alone isolates me, right? And, you know, I, anyway, I won't go into how I'm different than others, but we're all different. But Douglas Moo is saying, without sacrificing principle, believers should relate to one another that demonstrates the peace that Christ has secured for them. He's telling us, relate to one another in a way that illustrates the peace that God has secured for you through Christ. And then he reminds them, he said, you are called as one body. One body. And I kind of just alluded to it, but it makes me wonder, because back in verse 11 of Colossians 3, Paul describes a bit about the church. He said there's Jews and Gentiles. There's free people and slaves. There's barbarians in this group called Scythians. And it makes me wonder, maybe behind the scenes there's a little bit of bickering going on. Maybe some of the Jews are looking at some of these converted Gentiles and like, you know, you're not as spiritual as me. I've been circumcised. I've got the law. I've been taught. You know, maybe some of the free people and the slaves, maybe some that were still bond servants and slaves were looking at the free people and saying, oh man, you know, what makes you so special? You're free. I'm still a bond servant. Or maybe there's income and, oh, you make more than I do. And then one of the commentaries I read, the word barbarian, um, they think could have come from the fact of how certain Greeks pronounced words in an uneducated way. So, one of the commentaries I read, he said some of the Gentiles, the more educated Greeks, were listening to these barbarians talk. And they think that word barbarian may have come from just using the phrase over and over again, bar, 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 bar. And it was almost like the Greeks were looking at them like, oh, these uneducated Gentiles, they can't even talk right. So Paul's aware of the diversity and the beauty of it when God redeems his people and brings them together. And he reminds them, he says, you are called in one, is called in one body. So the implication here is clear. 
we Christians are now part, part of God's new humanity. We're united as one body through the gift of repentance and faith in Jesus. We who were once not a people are now God's people. And for his glory, he's brought us all together as one body. See, we're no longer independent, self-centered, my way or the highway people. In the body of Christ, we are interdependent. Fellow members of the body of Christ who are to love one another with God's love. So Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ rule. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. When you've got people that are really good, say, working with their hands and are, you know, blue-collar, hard-working men and women, and then you've got people with PhDs that pronounce words that I think are a foreign language. And they're all in the same room looking each other square in the eye because there's level ground at the foot of the cross. It's a beautiful thing to behold. So Paul's encouraging us as we work out our salvation to work hard at maintaining the unity God's created. But let's, again, get very practical. This is hard work. This is like where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. Because we're saints, but we're fellow sinners too. And it's inevitable that there will be situations where there will be challenges or difficulties in our relationships. So the question is for all of us, how are we doing in this area? Now, I don't want to cause too much pain here. I think my math comment was painful enough, but let me get a little more personal because I think it's important. And these are the questions I've had to ask myself and encourage our church up north with as well. Is there anyone in your church family that you're harboring unforgiveness or bitterness toward? God knows. Here's one that cuts even a little deeper. Is there anyone that you're having critical and negative thoughts about or have had critical, judgmental, or negative conversations about? Maybe when that person's not there, which God calls gossip and slander. I mean, all of us have done it, right? I mean, I feel conviction even saying it again, but, but as we look at Colossians 3, here's Paul's encouragement. He's saying, let the peace of Christ rule. Don't do anything that hinders or disrupts the unity God has given us in Christ. See, it's no wonder in Proverbs 6, one of the things the Lord hates is one who sows discord among brothers. And we are now a new humanity, as I've been hitting on. We're one body, diverse, but gloriously unified in Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule. Now, Paul complimenting this in Ephesians 4, he said, I urge you, you can hear, hear his passion to the Ephesians 
which I think is reflected here to the Colossians. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, I urge you, let the peace of Christ rule. And if there's relationships, and my informant has told me nothing on this topic, just so you know, but if there are relationships that you need help reconciling, I'd point you to your pastors, Todd, to Dan, to Mark, and say, hey, I want to get right with my brother and sister in Christ. Now that leads me to the final point. And it almost seems like a little add-on here. After saying all these glorious things about putting on love and this is your top code and letting the peace of Christ rule, now Paul just says, and be thankful. And it's easy to just kind of, you know, go right over that. But the Expositor's Bible Commentary, kind of commenting on this really briefly, it says, be thankful both to God and to men. And I think what Paul has in mind here is a twofold heart of gratitude. First of all, in light of all he's laid out in Colossians and even some of the things I brought out today, he's saying, be thankful to God. Don't forget, remind yourself what Christ has done for you. And that's what we need to cling to, especially as I think Todd mentioned earlier. When stuff is happening, circumstances scream at us to deny biblical truth. I've experienced this in, in some of the darker moments in my life. When, when stuff is really hard, it's almost like those circumstances are screaming to us, God doesn't care, God doesn't care. If God cared, he wouldn't let this happen. And we need to say, no, I'm going to remind myself of who I am in Christ. I was dead in sins, I'm alive. I remember hearing, being tempted at one time, during a difficult time, thinking the thought just was rolling in my head. If God, how do you know God loves you? Look what's happening. How do you know he loves you? And all I could do was look at the cross. And I said, that's how I know. Because I was his enemy and he went to the cross for me. And I just kept telling my soul, Jesus loves me because of that right there. My redeemer lives. And we need to be passionate about this. Again, not to, well, I'm just going to morph in the mud puddle today. We want to be thankful people. And you've got to talk to your soul at times. Remind your soul of these things. So first, let's be thankful to God, reminding ourselves of all we have and all he's done. Even the answers to prayer we've seen in the past. But then also, let's be thankful for each other to men. God has brought you together as a body of believers. I love coming here. I love my church too. I'm heading out after the service to catch the tail end of our service. But here's the thing. He has done a miracle bringing us all together. And we're his body joined through the power of Christ. So let's be thankful for one another. 
going to ask the worship team to come up now. And as I close, I'm going to read, it's a little bit longer quote. I don't know if any of you have read the book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Great title, huh? Some of you are like, can we just use that to start our chimney fire later? But no, this is actually an excellent book. But a quote from Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, here's what the author says. Now hear this. I think it's very applicable as we close the sermon. At some point, he says, each of us will become discouraged and disappointed with a relationship. Did you hear what I just said? Of course you did. You're sitting here being very kind. But at some point, each of us will become discouraged and disappointed with a relationship. He says, the health and maturity of a relationship are not measured by the absence of problems, but by the way the inevitable problems are handled. So let me say that one more time. The health and maturity of a relationship are not measured by an absence of problems, but the way we handle these problems. So he says, how do you deal with relational disappointments? Now, here's the contrast. Do you blame, deny, run away, avoid, threaten, or manipulate? We want to put that to death. Or, here's the putting on part. Do you speak the truth, exhibit patience, approach people gently, ask for and grant forgiveness, overlook minor offenses, encourage and honor others? Notice, true Christian maturity does not get any more practical or concrete. So here's my closing thoughts. Are any of you today here discouraged and disappointed in a relationship? Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a fellow church member. Maybe it's somebody outside your church family. But let's prayerfully heed the words of this quote which summarizes really much of what we've seen this morning in the scriptures. Let's speak the truth, exhibit patience, approach people gently, ask for and grant forgiveness, overlook minor offenses, encourage and honor others. In other words, above all else, put on love. In other words, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and let's be a thankful people for the glory of God. Amen? Thank you. Go ahead.